almost a bizarre day here at the state house the arrest of a state senator norm mcallister have you ever seen anything even remotely like this in your you've been here for decades i haven't obviously uh you know the allegations are extremely troubling and uh we'll see what happens next but, uh, I mean, you've got to admit, this was sort of an unusual thing that happened here yesterday. Were you even aware of what was going on? Uh, I had made, been made aware of uh, the possible uh, charges on uh, Monday afternoon. Sorry, Tuesday afternoon. So okay. I was aware that, that there was, you know, that they were going to be facing these charges. And uh, obviously, I think the Vermont State Police did an a excellent job and trying to deal with it without uh you know lots of fanfare really i mean it, it, uh, everybody's talking about it in the building here this morning you really think it was necessary to do it here and on kind of on the grounds well uh you know i'm going to leave the judgment to the state police about how they deal with arrests but when you have charges and they're ready to be filed obviously or ready to be acted upon obviously uh you have to go to where the person is mm-hmm did you do you know Norm McAllister very well? I don't know him very well. I didn't serve with he wasn't in the Senate when I was president pro tem. I mean, I've always had you know I've I knew I knew him because he was in the House, uh, but you know we don't have a particularly close relationship. Mm-hmm. Were you what was your reaction when you saw what the charges were? Well, uh, I have not actually seen the charges as has anyone else. I mean, they're going to be. Uh, laid out at i believe 11 o'clock today so you know i didn't go asking for the charges i just obviously like most vermonters uh the allegations are extremely troubling and uh you know i'm sure that uh, justice will be served i spoke uh, earlier this week with the attorney general i know um you're going to be appointing somebody to look into these allegations of campaign finance questions where where are you at on this process i should be able to make an announcement uh, on that shortly and, you know, obviously I've been uh, working together with a subcommittee of the state's, occur- uh, state's attorneys to uh, try find a uh, fair and impartial person who can, uh, you know, make the judgments that both the attorney general and everyone else feels will be helpful in this situation. Okay. Can you tell me more what shortly means? I hope to be able to do it. Uh, I hope to be able to complete the process, uh, certainly by Monday. Okay. Name somebody Monday? That would be my hope. In state or out of state? Can you get somebody, let me ask you this, can you find somebody in state who could be past sort of the objectivity question here? I absolutely think I can. Okay. Do you know who you're going to pick already? Uh, I am working very hard on a candidate that I think would be excellent and that the state's attorneys uh, agree would be very, very appropriate for this particular task. And they just haven't said yes? You well, haven't persuaded you know, I, them. I, I can't say anything beyond that except to say that, uh, you know, I think that I, I have my eyes on a candidate that I think would be uh, fair, incredibly qualified, and uh, able to do this in a thoughtful way. How long do you think this process might take? I'm not going to speculate on that. I'm going to leave that to whoever undertakes the, the work that we're asking them to do. Uh, let's talk about where things stand here in the uh, the legislative process. As you know, you and I have discussed a lot will happen at the end of next week when there will be this big flurry and this big pool of uh, taxes and, and uh, budgets and it all kind of getting a big mix here. So tell me, I know, you know, this is sort of the worst time of the year to ask you these questions because everybody is 
uh, is negotiating and everybody's kind of putting their best foot forward here. So let me tell you, well, let me ask you this. Where, where in your view are the House and Senate when it comes to spending and taxing? And I'm going to just let you comment. Well, let me start by saying both the House and the Senate have done excellent work trying to solve a $113 million budget challenge. And, uh, you know, this isn't easy. We, none of us thought it would be easy. We've got to match our appetite for spending with the revenues that are coming in. Uh, as you know, uh, I pushed very hard, starting in January, for a uh, budget solution that would have not only really helped low-income Vermonters who are struggling to find someone to serve them in health care uh, or Medicaid, but also uh, would have uh, given us a cushion next year in our health care costs that continue to rise. Let's remember that health care is about 33% of Vermont's overall budget spend. So it's, it's a huge challenge for all of us. Uh, having said that, uh, my view is that since we didn't choose to address the health care problem, uh, we are looking at a 50 to $70 million problem in s next year, which is too much. So my hope is that in the conference process, we will find additional cuts before we ask for monitors to pay more taxes. And you're looking at somewhere in the range, 8 million is the last number I heard. Is that still the same, the same number today? We put together $8 million of additional cuts uh, over the recommend of the House and the Senate last week. Uh, I would love us to find as much as we can because I really feel strongly that we are not on a sustainable spending path if we uh, leave this building with a big problem again next year. Are you going to be able to deal with the big problem without doing what Senator Ash wants to do, which is sort of a real major overhaul of the taxes, extend the sales tax to services, and that kind of a major overhaul? Or are you just going to have the same problem a, every year? Uh, I don't think there's any chance that you'll see, you know, at this late date when neither body has, has let's put it this way, we're going to have to deal with what's past both bodies. And that's not unusual in this process. No one has proposed significant, has actually passed significant tax overhaul. Having said that, you know where I stand. Uh, mm -hmm. I want to see us cut more before we tax more. I think Vermonters agree with me on that. And I feel very strongly, very strongly that to take away Vermont's home mortgage deductions uh, is a huge mistake for our economy. Taking away charitable deductions is a huge mistake for Vermont. And taking away catastrophic health care deductions is a huge mistake, particularly for seniors. So we've got to do this all, this work, in a thoughtful way. And we've got to go back to what we all committed to do when we came in here in January, which is take care of our long-term sustainability of our budget in a way that doesn't hurt Vermont's economy. But couldn't the people that are proposing what you just talked about that you have a problem with turn around and say to you, look, you know, we're all in this bad boat together. None of these choices are good. And we came up with a choice that we think is the least bad of the bad. And I guess that's where I would disagree. Uh, I think there's been a lot of thoughtful work done. Uh, folks are really making a great effort. But if we're turning to Vermonters and saying... We're going to take away your home mortgage deduction when you hit 240000 bucks on a mortgage, which is an awful lot of middle-class Vermonters, the folks that we're trying to make this economy work for. And then we're going to kick them in the teeth. If we're saying that we're going to take away charitable deductions when we know that's what 
absolutely supports our quality of life. I don't care whether you're giving to the Red Cross because you want to support the extraordinary tra tragedy in Nepal, or whether you're talking about uh, giving to the you know to the uh, local aids, the Brattleboro AIDS Project, or all the other charities that support us. Yesterday, I was you know uh, at a at a fundraiser at lunchtime. Uh, you know, for an organization uh, uh, run by the Sisters of Mercy that literally is taking uh, addicts, women from prison and getting them back into the workforce, getting them job training, getting teaching literacy, doing all the things that they need to succeed. They will not survive without charitable deductions. And then to say to seniors, when you really have a catastrophic health care cost and uh, your insurance doesn't quite cover, which is often the case in America, we're going to tell you, sorry, you're on your own. I just don't think that those are the kinds of choices that are going to make the state a better place. I know you don't threaten vetoes, but, boy, you sure sound like you don't like this idea at all. No, I don't. And you really think that there's more to cut. I mean, there, there's been there's well, already been quite you know, a bit that's cut anyway, I right? I understand that. But, listen, uh, when you have a governor say uh, that we've got $8 million of additional cuts that we think we can ma responsibly manage, all I ask is that we look at those cuts. That's not common. Governors don't commonly come up and say, you know, this is exactly where we, I think we could. You've done great work. We've got more to do. Uh, because we're not dealing with the challenge next year with health care, so you're literally talking, let me, let me just, I don't want to get too in the weeds, but here's our problem. Next year, we have a 53-week uh, Medicaid year. It happens every once in a while. That's $10 million bucks from the general fund. We've got a our F map, but because our incomes are going up compared to other states, and you know we're doing a little better, we continue to get a reduction in our Medicaid reimbursement. That's going to cost us over twenty million dollars next year. We project, and then there's another ten million dollars based on a, ten, a federal health care technicality. So that's forty million bucks that you're looking at next year that didn't have this year. My proposal with the health care health health and welfare committee's spending proposal would have solved that problem. So if we're going to say we're not going to solve that problem, you can't just say, okay, let's go home. you got to say, we better find some additional cuts. Do you think the payroll tax is still in play here? Uh, no. Wow. Really? Okay, that's the first time I've heard you actually well, to, to throw in the towel on this. I so. think it's pretty clear that the payroll tax isn't going forward. And having said that, uh, that's my whole point. Look at my op-ed yesterday. If we're not going to make the choices around the payroll tax, which I understand are not being made, then we've got to ask the next question. What do we do? And to simply go home and say we're going to come back with an unsustainable budget next year and ask Vermonters again to dig in their pockets for either uh, more cuts or more taxes, why would we kick that can down the road? The uh, Senate Majority Leader was talking about a $40 million problem. You're talking about something that's much larger. The $40 million problem that I'm talking about is health care alone right. that would have been taken care of with my dedicated health care revenue package. So my point is, yes, there's some additional issues that we're going to have to face next year. I understand that. But I don't think that we should be going home knowing that we have a 60 to 70 million. We can argue about the numbers. We know they all change, but there's no disputing the fact, I don't think, among reasonable people, that we've got a $40 million health care spend next year that we don't have this year, and we're walking away without dealing with it. When you look back on this, why do you think the payroll tax was as unpopular as it was? Well, it's never been passed before by any state, so that's the challenge. You know, every country in the world that funds health care uses the payroll tax. We're the only country that doesn't, but we all know that going first is hard. 
the lake uh, bill and the financing of that, what are your thoughts about that uh, eight days before the session is supposed to end? I think that House and the Senate have both done great work on water quality, and I think our kids and our grandkids, uh, and hopefully some of us, are going to thank all of us for finally saying, listen, enough is enough. Let's put together a comprehensive plan that's going to get rid of, over time, going to make our waters clearer, get rid of the blue-green algae, make it possible to go to the shallow areas of our lakes and other waterways without, you know, having to not only not swim in it, not fish in it, but also not want to sleep next to it in our camps because it stinks so badly. I mean, that's really where we are. Pretty bad. Uh, my view is I strongly prefer the proposal I put together in January to fund it or the House's proposal over the per parcel fee. I think it's a huge mistake when Vermonters are crying out for lower property taxes to turn around and raise their property taxes. 244-1777 is our local number. Toll free 877-291-8255. Let's uh, go to Hyde Park. Mac, how are you this morning? Good, Mark. How are you? I'm good. Good morning, Governor. Hey, good morning. Thanks for calling in. Yes, sir. Um, I actually had called and wanted to uh, just respond to Senator Baruth. But, um, you know, I'm a middle-class Vermonter. I work in the construction industry. And if, if we want to have a strong economy in Vermont, I think we need, we need, to, we need to go backwards on taxation. We've, I feel that we've been overtaxed for a long time now. And it's slowly tapping the wealth of the middle class away. And to look at this legislature, it appears to me that they basically raised new taxes and didn't really do much in terms of addressing the property tax issue. So it's, that's my comment. I think I, I, it, it seems like Montpelier hasn't gotten the message that All right, we can't okay. afford I, got, I think we got... Mac, I think we got it. Thank you for your call. Hey, thanks for your call. And, you know, one thing I hear every day from Vermonters, uh, regardless of where I go, is that we've got a real challenge. We've got to make this economy work for every single Vermonter, not just those that were doing well, you know, during the recession, the small percentage of folks that were. And it's the middle class, not only in Vermont, but across America, that are getting kicked in the teeth. So every action that we take here has to be... Uh, you know, qualified by the simple question, is this going to lift the boat for all Vermonters and make this economy work for them, or is this going to kick them further in the teeth? And, you know, I do think that the education bill that both the House and the Senate have passed and will we'll get resolution on that is a huge step in ensuring that we finally address what we've always been afraid to talk about and deal with, which is the fact that we literally had, you know, 110,000 students in our schools not long ago. Now we got 78,000. That number is going to keep dropping, and we haven't changed a thing. We got the highest per pupil spending in the country. Uh, we got a 4.7 to one staff student ratio. Uh, we got our principals and superintendents voting with their feet because of this infrastructure we've got. So they literally quit their jobs every three years. That's not sustainable. And uh, you know, in some cases, we're funding more kids in the classroom with empty chairs under our formula than with with kids in them. So I actually think you'll be impressed in the long run with the education bill that it will bring about a more affordable and frankly a better quality system. Having said that, on the taxes, that's why I feel so strongly that we've got to do the work we've got to do by making some additional cuts and then choose revenues that aren't going to hurt the middle class. And I'll tell you, if we take away your home mortgage deduction or reduce it, 
if we take away your ability to give to charity and if we take away catastrophic health care cost deductions, uh, that's not helping folks like you. Can you would, would you say today you're going to veto that? You know, I never say that. All I can say, I mean, I, I like, maybe, like, like, like past governors. So, you feel so strongly you might make an exception. Well, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously uh, hopeful that uh, and willing to sit down with it with the legislature and try work out something we can all we can all live with. Can you really call this education bill a huge step? Like I think did? it will be. Let me tell you why. I said right in January, you know, really that bill reflects what I laid out in January, which is Montpelier does not know, have the capability, nor should they, have a one-size-fits-all uh, solution to right-size the ship. What this system says is we're going to give you the partnership, the data, so you can actually go in and measure finally, you know, what schools, instead of us guessing, what schools are actually having good educational outcomes, which aren't, what schools are what managed well financially, which aren't, and have a partnership to solve the problems, kind of like Bridgewater and Pomfret did this year, where they came together, uh, they said, wow, we got a problem, we don't have enough kids, how can we put these schools together in a way that's going to make us stronger, not weaker. And I'm convinced that night, when you give Vermonters the data, so you can literally go in and say, this is where you are now, this is where going to be in five years, and this is where you're going to be in ten years. And when you do that, some of the numbers are eye-popping in small communities. I mean, if you think it's bad now, wait till you've lost another 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 kids. Uh, Vermonters do the right thing when they have the data. And what this bill does is give them the financial incentives to do the right thing. So I think you're going to get a lot more uh, productive outcomes of a smarter, more affordable system uh, that way than you are with some convoluted plan that says one size fits all, this is what you must do, and if you don't do it, we're going to come beat you up. I just don't think that works in Vermont. One other area I wanted to ask you about, I had a, um, we're having the labor commissioner on the program on Monday, Annie Noonan. I really got a, just a just a, a waterfall of calls from people that are, have been audited by the Labor Department on this question of independent contractors versus employees. First of all, are you hearing the back the the, the backwash about this and people very upset about it? Well, yes, and I've you know I've met with uh, home builders and others uh, about this issue with the commissioner. We're working hard to try to get this right. But listen, let's remember what the goal is here. Uh, when folks. Most folks are doing the right thing. But like anything, when they do the wrong thing, when they literally try to circumvent the withholdings that are necessary to support all of the unemployment fund and the other funds that support uh, the you know labor structure in Vermont, what happens is the folks who are paying uh, get cheated by the folks who aren't. So what the commissioner is trying to do and what we're trying to do is find the balance between smart enforcement and, you know, frankly, going overboard. And I think the commissioner is doing a great job trying to find that balance, to strike that balance. You never get, you know, lots of applause when you do something like that. You don't think it's leaning too far on the heavy-handed on the on that on that side? I think you can always find examples where uh, people feel aggrieved. And our job is to listen to them, to sit down with them and try to work it out. And on any issue like this, whether it's withholding or taxation, when folks, you know, uh, tax department says you didn't pay what you should have and then folks say well you know you weren't clear on the rules all of this stuff you know what the beauty of Vermont is you call the governor you call my team we sit down with you I've sat down with these folks and we try to figure out a smart way to go forward so that's sort of the spirit of the administration we're lucky to live in Vermont in a small state where you have real problems you can call up and we can try to work them out so you're um, the next eight days your expectation is what 
next eight days, my expectation is uh, that we will hopefully come to agreement on the big bills that we laid out in this session in January that we had to get done to make this economy work for every single Vermonter, like the Carla Reeds heard from. Balanced budget without raising taxes that would hurt our economy. Making sure we have a clean water bill that's going to serve our kids and grandkids well, finally. Making sure we have an education bill that we just talked about that right-sizes the ship. Making sure that we have a child protection bill that's sensible. And, uh, obviously, the reset energy bill that allows us to move to the next generation of renewables that's growing jobs and getting us off oil climate change future that we're all concerned about. Let me take one call, one caller and let you go. Let's go to Chelsea Frank. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Governor. Hey, good morning. Um, I'm just wondering if I could touch on something that probably you won't like to hear, but and I'll be as polite as I can, but I went to a meeting in Chelsea last night on bridges, and I have to believe there's an awful lot of waste at state level, and I'd like to... Can you speak up a little? Sorry. A lot of waste at the state level. Yep, okay. I'd like to give you an example. Um, Last year, uh, the North Bridge... Uh, going north out of town, um, the engineers looked it over and decided that the uh, I-beams underneath were worth saving. So they took the time to uh, sandblast. They put a bladder underneath for env- environmental reasons and took the time to sandblast and clean and painted those and did a really nice job. I walk every day, so I got a chance to see this firsthand. Yeah. And did them up real nice. And then, of course, the ongoing saga of we're going to do the bridges at some point. Well, last night they had a meeting, and there were several people there from the state level and uh, talking about it. And um, at one point they said, we're going to replace the deck and the, and the railings and the I-beams and so forth. And mm-hmm. one of the taxpayer uh, from Chelsea said, um, those I-beams were painted last summer. And they looked at him like he had two heads. So I reiterated what he said, and I took it a little further. I said, you know, I walk every day. I saw this whole performance, and they did the sandblasting and painting. And I said, and now you're telling me they're going to just rip them out of there. This had to come at a pretty big cost. And they said, well, sometimes it's easier to, quicker and easier to, to do the structure if we blah, blah, blah. And nothing was said about cheaper. It was quicker and easier. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I thought about it the whole evening, and it, it was just, and I, and I confronted him on it, and I said very politely, you know, I'm not trying to point fingers, but it just appears to me like you folks don't have all the information. And, uh, yeah. So that's sort what, of my comment, and what, I'll what's leave your, it there, I, I want to find out about them, but don't go away. What's your phone number? Area code 802. Yeah. 685-6854828. Four eight two eight. I'm going to look into that one and get back I, to you. Well, it just bothers me a little bit that uh, yeah. I, I call it lack of communication. Um, yes. Probably more than it's anything. The kind of thing, it's the kind of thing that drives me nuts in state it, government. Well, it so appears let me... like, and I'm glad now that you said that, I'm glad I called because, you know, I'm not trying to crucify anybody, but no, if but we listen, can get I mean, rid of some of the waste, yes, we can you reduce got it. a lot of spending. You're absolutely right, and yep. if if we went in and painted a bunch of I beams that we're now ripping out, uh, I'm just as uh, perplexed as you, and yep. I'm going to look into it. 
Thank you very All much. Right, thanks for time. the call. Thank you, Frank. Right. I appreciate it. Governor, thank you for your time as well, too. Governor Shumlin joining us here live uh, at the State SMI Pillar. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Big news. Granite Hills Credit Union has just lowered our auto loan rate. Now you can buy or refinance a car, motorcycle, or boat with a great fixed rate of 1.99% for 60 months for a new or used vehicle. We've got money to lend right now with this unbelievable low rate of 1.99%. This is a limited time offer that ends on May 22nd, 2015. So you have to act fast. Not a member of Granite Hills? Not a problem. We're open to the community. Act now before our loan special is gone. This low loan rate of 1.99% for a car, motorcycle, or boat ends on May 22nd. And remember, we can help you refinance too. Apply online at granitehills.org or call today to take advantage of low loan rates from Granite Hills, your hometown credit union. At Granite Hills Credit Union is an equal housing lender and is federally insured by the NCUA. Get ready for the Vermont Chamber Business and Industry Expo featuring a redesigned event format. Join us for one full business day of networking and seminars on Thursday, May 21st at the Sheraton Burlington. As the region's largest B2B trade show, Expo is the perfect platform to network with over 3,000 business attendees and exhibitors. Visit an expert in the new digital marketing hub sponsored by Dealer.com and make sure to register early for tickets to the Senator Leahy Business Breakfast and TD Bank Innovation Institute. Visit VTX.